Well, welcome to this edition of Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, our host and producer, along with Eric Ryder today, who will be working the boards. We have a great show today. Actually, I have not had an individual in the studio for some time, but uh, today we have Mike Flynn, who was the editor and publisher of the Puget Sound Business Journal for almost a quarter century and who made a point not to just cover businesses in the Puget Sound region, but to actively engage and advocate on their behalf. After leaving the Puget Sound Business Journal, he went back to his entrepreneurial core and has been consulting and advising businesses ever since. At one time, he was a United Press International reporter, manager, and eventually responsible for UPI's business and marketing in the Western United States. Mike Flynn has served on a number of boards and committees in the Puget Sound region, way too many to go through right here. Our, our half hour would be up, and I kid you not on that. So Voices of Experience, what is it? If you've been listening for any length of time, we talk to people with experience, quite simply, in public affairs, as we are today, talking to Mike Flynn. We do travel, fitness, education, special events with an emphasis on entrepreneurship, and we are going to talk to Mike about that later, about some of the things that we share in common in terms of entrepreneurism. Of course, him being the publisher and editor of the Puget Sound Business Journal, he has a lot of information there. And something else that he's working on, getting angel investors together to help women entrepreneurs out. So we're going to be addressing that as well. So there's very little theory on this show. We really like, try to talk to people, again, with experience. And um, I've talked about my book before, and I'll give it a shameless plug once again. And it's called, Is Self-Employment for You? Anyone Can Start a Business, Only a Few Can Sustain a Business. That's the title of it. And the reason I wrote that book is that there is an 80% or so failure rate among people going into small business for themselves. And all I want to do, again, is increase your prospects for success. I actually have a quiz in the book, and uh, there's 20 questions. And the higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for small business success. At least I think so. One of the questions, for example, is uh, are you organized? As an individual, you're thinking about going into business for yourself. Are you organized or are you flailing away and trying to find your pen or your pencil every day, lose your car keys, you don't get projects done, you don't execute? I submit that maybe self-employment is something you shouldn't pursue now, but the good news is that there's nothing on the questions that you can't improve upon. Now, if you don't want to buy the book, you can go to my website and take the quiz as well. That's full disclosure now. And you can go to VoicesOfExperience.com and take the quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. And uh, you can, again, take the self-employment quiz. So back with Mike Flynn in just a few moments. You're listening to Voices of Experience. And finally, to every person on social media who's asked me since November, Bill, what do you have to say about Stan Lee? And every paparazzi outside a restaurant who's still shouting at me, Bill, what about the Stan Lee thing? Okay, your day has come. Tonight's editorial is about Stan Lee, who, if you missed it, died in November. And a few days later, I posted a blog that was in no way an attack on Mr. Lee, but took the occasion of his death to express my dismay at people who think comic books are literature and superhero movies are great cinema and who, in general, are stuck in an everlasting childhood. Bragging that you're all about the Marvel Universe is like boasting that your mother still pins your mittens to your sleeves. 
You can, if you want, like the exact same things you liked when you were 10. But if you do, you need to grow up. That was the point of my blog. I'm not glad Stanley is dead. I'm sad you're alive. <laughs> And by the way, if someone says you're being childish and you react by throwing a tantrum, <laughs> you're not Iron Man. <laughs> you're Irony Man. <laughs> well, let me tell you, people were pissed about this post. I wasn't even aware that I had ruffled so many capes. <laughs> <clears throat> Until I saw that 40,000 Twitter followers unfollowed me like that. To which I say, good riddance, follow Yogi Bear. Bill Maher, and that was Bill Maher, and uh, that was from Real Time with Bill Maher that airs on HBO's on Friday nights. So, anyhow, action heroes. I couldn't agree with them more. Get a little bit too caught up in that. So, Mike Flynn is in the studio. As I said, he will be. And, um, Mike, welcome to Voices of Experience. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Paul. And uh, before we get into some of the background uh, things we're going to talk about, I wanted to just jump into the uh, Angels program, which are starting Angel Investors to help women entrepreneurs. Well, it's actually, we haven't even put it out yet, although it's taking shape. It's really an event next November at Bellevue College, partnered by WSU, to bring women entrepreneurs, women angels funders together with women entrepreneurs because there are cool, a lot of cool women with business ideas, but they don't know where to go for money. And increasingly, women angels are attuned to the fact they ought to be helping women entrepreneurs. In fact, there's an interesting uh, behind-the-scenes thing starting to go where women angels are approaching rich women who give millions to charity and saying, knock that off. From now on, give half of it to women entrepreneurs. When that becomes... Uh, clear, there's going to be a little pushback from the nonprofit community. But the point is, women entrepreneurs have to get their money somewhere. So we're going to have an event, and it actually isn't my idea. I stole it from a friend of mine who's an investor in a company I've been involved with uh, that is a biotech company. And she told me about an organization she was with, of women entrepreneurs being served by women angels. And I said, ah, we can do that. I just have to make sure I'm not the person who becomes apparently the organizer of this and hand it over to some women. Right. So, uh, anyway, so uh, wanna... yeah, that's going to take place later in the fall, but that stuff needs to be worked out. Oh, it's out all set. Things. November, set. November okay. 2nd at Bellevue College. Okay. Uh, it's a Saturday. It'll be a day-long event. starts with a panel. Then we'll have a Shark Tank-like session with angels interviewing entrepreneurs. Then a luncheon speaker, and then a uh, speed dating in the afternoon. So women entrepreneurs can go around, stop at each corner of the of the cafeteria and talk to the angels. Well, that's great because uh, I've read that <clears throat> entrepreneur, women entrepreneurs are the fastest growing number of uh, individuals starting businesses now. So it's uh, very timely. I wasn't aware that of that fact, happen. but I believe it from. Yeah, I, I read that business. just a short time ago. So that's great to hear. <laughs> and um, let's just skip right to it. If someone wants to find out more information about that, how would they do that? <laughs> can I give somebody my email? You can do that. Uh, Mike at emikeflynn.com. I always tell people, don't forget the E. My first name is Eugene Michael. So Mike at emikeflynn.com. Say, hey, I'd like to be involved with that. Okay, one more time on the email. Mike at emikeflynn.com. Perfect. Okay. Right. 
So I uh, got that out of the way. I wanted to talk about that because that's something you're working on now going forward, and you've been doing a number of things in the community. And I uh, wanted to just drop back just for a moment and talk about your life at the Puget Sound Business Journal because that magazine has been around forever, and uh, at least I remember, still going strong. And uh, you have received a lot of accolades for what you did at the time, that that was a, a thriving newspaper again, which it is now. One of the few that you look across the country, what's happening in newspapers. But having said all that, I wanted to jump into this. What are the things that happened during the time when you were the publisher, editor, that really stands out in your mind? Well, from the outset, uh, because I'm not a business-savvy person, I'm a journalist, I had to become business-savvy. I said, we're not going to write about numbers and how people profit and margin. I want to write about people and their stories because that's what people want to read about. Those stories are going to have embedded in them information about how they did. But uh, uh, So we focused on doing people stories, and I have to share with you, kind of to me and amusing, I started out at United Press International as a loving sports writing, and I got every sports writing opportunity I could because sports was filled with heroes, villains, winners, losers, smoke-filled rooms, and really interesting competitive stuff. Then I became a political writer with some reluctance in Olympia while Dan Evans was governor because I thought people in politics were selfish, self-focused. Egomaniacs. Egomaniacs. Right. Well, then I found out, no, they're not. They're like people in sports. They're filled with with heroes and goats and agony, uh, thrill of victory, agony of defeat, just like sports. And then I became a business editor. Uh, I accepted the job as a business editor, even though I thought business people, I don't care for them. They're rednecked. They're self-focused. They don't care about people who work for them. And I found all of that is a myth. And so they were like people in sports, thrill of victory, agony, defeat, winners, losers. And so I fell in love with all three of those because they're all people things. As long as the people is the focus, they can be very interesting. I think Uh, that being a journalist from that background gives you so many opportunities to make those observations, which many people don't get, you know, that opportunity to view it that way, go in with a mindset, and then you find out it's... Far find out wrong. And I think that's the most exciting thing in life when you do that's go in right. with an attitude like that and Why you go, I wow. Think that way? Why did I think that exactly. way? Exactly. Or you meet somebody that you've seen from afar and you've made up your mind about that person and then that person's entirely different. If we have time, I'm going to tell you that individual <laughs> that I met um, and, like and did that at <clears throat> one point. So, so one of the things I want to share, though, sure. is uh, there's a sense about media that the advertisers own you, and you do whatever they tell you. So I have to tell you a couple of stories. Uh, one, early on, there was a PR firm that came to have lunch with me, and they said, we have a client, and if you do a story about them, then they'll buy advertising. And I said, no, no, it doesn't work that way. And they said, well, no advertising. And I said, actually, there'll probably never be a story, and there'll never be an ad. <laughs> and they were not comfortable with their client sitting there to have me tell them that. I think eventually they bought some ads and then we probably did a story if it was worth it. Uh, And the other one was uh, there was a time when uh, I learned that realtors were very upset with our coverage. They said, you're negative about us and stuff. And I didn't plan to change my coverage, but I wanted to give them an opportunity to tell me what they thought. So I had lunch 
And I said, okay, so I gather you guys have some dissatisfaction. And nobody talked. Well, at that point, Martin Selig, who most people know is the builder of the... And he was the guy in the room? That was the story about him? He came to the door, and he said, you know, I'll tell you what I think. It's you write negative stories about us, so we have to do advertising to make up for it. And I said, Conspiracy theorists. Now, you guys all heard that. Nobody's going to be more insulting than that, so tell me what you think. So, Good for you. So how did that result? Did he end up advertising? And oh, he always what? advertised. Okay, sure. Yeah, he was explaining why he had to because we wrote negative things about it. Put the positive thing forward. Are there some people who uh, really stand out in your mind, let's say some public officials or business leaders that you really think made a huge difference in this area and we should really take note of that? You know, uh, this area is uniquely populated by the heroes who cared about the community and became hugely successful. You know, you can run through all of the Boeing people, uh, Warehouser, Amazon, Alaska Airlines, which is a very community-focused uh, company. Um, and the interesting thing is in the, in the cellular field, this was the mecca in the world of cellular uh, experts, starting with Craig McCaw uh, and John Stanton, current owner, major owner of the Mariners and their CEO, came out from that, and Michael Thompson, uh, Michael and, and John built a company called Western Wireless, and then they spun out something called Voicestream, which became Deutsche Telekom, which became T-Mobile. Um, and I once, I told John several times, I'd see him at events, and I said, because my wife and I bought stock in Western Wireless before I really bought any other stock, and it was at 15 bucks within a year and a half, Voice stream was spun out. It became $86. Voice stream. Nice. Western Wireless is about 50 And I'd said to John, you know, my wife and I have a picture of you, and we burn incense in front of that every night. <laughs> got I got it. it. Full disclosure, I'm uh, very good friends with Michael Thompson. As a matter of fact, I partnered up with him and in part owner of the Tacoma Rainiers, which yeah. uh, he bought. I went to school at WSU when Michael was there. Actually, he'll keep telling you I was three years ahead of him. <laughs> He's a young lad or whatever. But I told him I was in the office at ASWSU when we were in student government. And I said, you remember the time when I picked up the phone and the cord was attached to the base? And I said, you know, someone needs to figure out where we can do this wireless. And I said, you remember that, Michael? He didn't. But um, Well, actually, anyhow. John Stanton and Michael Thompson are the coolest, really untold, except in my column, business story. I'd have to agree. Because... Uh, uh, John was a graduate of Whitman. He loved Whitman. He ran. The, he was the head of the the Regents. And then the Walla Walla Sweet Onions, a sub-pro baseball team, became available. So John said to Michael, they share office together because they now are a venture fund. Um, he said to Michael, you have to come in with me. So uh, they did. And then Michael grew up in Tacoma watching the, I can't remember which they were back in. I think they were the Tacoma Giants, 1960. We've right. talked about that. So he told me they hadn't been there for 30 years when he and his dad, he was seven, went to the first game. And he said, from that time on, I watched them, and suddenly they're available. I can't not buy that team. So he said, I'll call John and said, you got to come in with me. <laughs> and so it may be the only situation in the U.S. where the major league's major owner is also a key owner of the AAA <laughs> franchise. That's right. so, 
Yeah, it's an amazing team that they've had over the years, and I agree with you mm-hmm. that it is an untold story that's r- really remarkable, just, just to be on that. And just two, I don't know John Stanton at all. I've met him once or twice. Michael, I know well what class acts they are. And they're they, all community-focused yes, actors. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And um, when I saw Michael was involved, I said, hey, I want in, and I'm really happy I did because they run a grand, great <laughs> franchise down in Tacoma. Have you been down to a game there lately? No, it's been quite a while. Uh, you got to do. I, it. I did ask Michael once because they office together. I said, uh, I said, so when the Mariners pull up one of your key players, do you reach under the desk and kick Stanton? And he said, No, that's just the way the game is played. We have to help major league teams. Right. Any particular individual <clears throat> uh, public official that you just hold in highest esteem that really made the biggest impact on this state. Well, that's hard, but Dan Evans certainly is a key standout. People are negative about politics now, but the state had two of the most important senators in the nation in in Henry Jackson and Warren Magnuson together. And then it became Dan Evans and Slade Gordon to think that they had that kind of power from this state uh, over 40 years. Um, but Dan Evans was uh, he, he was a very... Uh, focused on service guy. He was a moderate Republican. And so uh, his, uh, the guy who was his uh, state Republican chairman was a very savvy guy named Gummy Johnson. He always made sure that there were people criticizing Evans from the right so that he would become an obviously middle-of-the-roader. So, so as a result of that, King County Republicans were always on the outs with, with Evans. But um, one of the coolest, I did a column not long ago because it was 50th anniversary of Dan. Um, there was a guy named Art Fletcher who was an African-American former football player who came to the Tri-Cities, and he had a, a self-help philosophy that fitted Republicans more than Democrats, and so he was a Republican, and he brought that philosophy to the mostly black East Pasco community and helped them bring themselves up. And so Evans uh, and Slade Gordon, then Attorney General Evans, governor, discovered him. And Dan told me about uh, two Republicans plotting to make the first black man governor in their state. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're you, talking 1968. 1968. Or right? They said, and so they brought him into their campaign material, and he was seeing four young. Actually, the attorney, the Secretary of State then was also a young guy. So there's just 40-ish, four guys walking in unison. One of them is a black guy and three white guys. To think that a Republican, uh, the two Republicans, would lead a private secret campaign to create a black governor is, today, that would be unfathomable. From reading your column, um, he did not win lieutenant governor, so that kind of no, didn't work out. No, but right? that was another example of uh, Gummy Johnson's cleverness. He he told me that uh, hydroplane driver Bill Muncie, he said we had to have Art beat somebody so he could be a winner before he went in the general election against lieutenant governor John Sherberg. So he said, I called Bill, I called Muncie and said, we'd really like you to run for lieutenant governor. And Muncie said, what what do they do? And he said. It's simple. Everybody will know you. We'll pay for your filing. You'll be paid as the number two person in the state government. And everybody enjoys spending time with you. It's, it's really fun. 
So he, he rammed, he didn't know how to run, and he wasn't given any help, and so Art Fletcher beat him. So he was the giant killer who beat Bill Munson. I see. Okay, <laughs> then I got that wrong. I did read your column closer then. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to be uh, coming up in a few moments. Uh, we got about uh, six minutes to go, and I wanted to talk about uh, get your entrepreneur uh, type of uh, input before we go. But I also want to let the people know that you have a column that is, you, it's kind of an email column that you send out. I find it fascinating. I got to read it closer next time about uh, the uh, Art Fletcher story. But how would someone get that? It is free. So oh, that's very kind that? of you. It's free. Uh, in fact, I once asked my son, I said, I went to Gonzaga, and Gonzaga was uh, going to be a football power like Notre Dame in the 20s, and they came pretty close. So I said, what do you think people would say if I did a column about Gonzaga football? He said, you don't get paid, right? I said, no. He said, well, write whatever the hell you want. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's my mantra. Uh, it's, um, it's Flynn's Harp. If you email me, I just put you on, and it's on the Internet also. Okay, and then people can Google Mike Flynn, and you'll get well, you'll be called up, and they can get it to that way too. If well, they if they can't do, remember Flynn's all this. Harp, it comes up. Okay, well that's great. So we'll be back, and I want to shift gears in just a moment to talk about some of the myths of going into business. At least I think they are, and get Mike Flynn's comments on those. Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of Voices of Experience. We're talking to Mike Flynn, and uh, we wanted to shift gears now into talking about some of the myths about going into business. Now, I wrote the book, and I had eight myths listed, and I'm not going to go through all of those because we're running out of time. But I want to ask Mike to pick out a myth, and let's discuss it. I picked uh, your number four, the customer is always right. Uh, the customer generally, I think, is not initiated to the things you can do for them. And they come up with an idea, and you know it's not going to work. You owe it to the customer to say, no, John, we're not going to do it that way. Uh, because here's what the reality is of this readership or this event. Um, and the customer has to, in some respects, not put down, but be treated as a child who's learning. Uh and they, they deserve your help. They're paying you for it. And so if you do as they want you to do, it may be a dumb idea, and you owe it to them not to do dumb ideas in their behalf. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, along those lines with uh, when you start out in business, you really are desperate to bring anybody in the door. And sometimes that's a very critical time where you can make some mistakes on that. And some of the customers, I think um, you got to be very wary, and that's kind of what I'm driving at. When I talk about that, that the customer is always right because a bad customer can put you out of business. Almost happened to me twice. I should have been more scrutinized on who they are and not automatically go in and say, okay, I'll just continue to do the business for you because you're the customer. 
I think you learn to be much more discerning. Oh, I see. I agree with that. Absolutely. Myth. Would you have another myth? Um, geez, I didn't look that closely. Our business plan is just a giant wish list. (laughs) A lot of people do put every possibility in their business plan, but really the business plan should just be the key that I'm going to stick in the door to open it into my business. And I better know how I want to walk in that door. But beyond that, events are going to determine where you go with your plan. You know what? I can't add to that at all. That's exactly, I said it differently, but that's exactly, I think, I I think I like the way you said it better (laughs) about key walking to the door. I can visualize that. So anyhow, unfortunately we are out of time and how much we have about two minutes. Okay. So, um, that is all the time we have for this edition, and I want to thank Mike Flynn for being such a special guest today and for coming into the studio. Now, if you want to listen to any show for the last year and a half, you can Google KKNW, then click on to Archives, and at the bottom of that play page, you can click on to Voices of Experience, and again, you can hear shows including NPR's Robert Siegel. I um, also had... Mark Victor Hansen, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, on uh, about a year and a half ago, did a show, a couple shows, actually, on homelessness and visited the Bread of Life mission in Seattle's Pioneer Square. And this show today will be archived, so anyhow, you can listen to any show that you may have missed. This show will be also uh, rebroadcast Friday at 1.30 p.m., so have a great rest of the week or weekend, depending on when you're listening to the show.